0: Nelson Mandela said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can change the world. Benjamin Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Here we will focus on the two whys of the company, financial freedom and individual growth. Welcome to the Empower podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Kirk Wiemann, a very special guest. I've been looking forward to this guest for months. He's been one of the hardest ones I've had. Uh, to Town for a podcast. It honestly blew my mind. It goes deep down the rabbit hole of crypto. I can't remember the last time I learned or watched or listened to something that just rocked my world for the next couple hours afterwards. Uh, And that's today's episode. It was such a fantastic conversation. I learned so much and enjoyed it. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. Guys, welcome to the podcast today. I'm so stoked. This is one I've been looking forward to for weeks. Actually, it's been a couple of months since I uh, reached out to Kirk and we locked down the state. So uh, super, super grateful to have Kirk on, super generous of him to come down here and to dive into this big topic of crypto. So thanks, Kirk, for yeah. coming on. And uh, so let's let's just start off with your background. You're from Orem. And uh, the the earliest on, on my studies of you is you started making digital wallpaper
1: yeah. at college, right? Yeah. So I around 22, I taught myself programming and I wanted to make, I wanted to learn how to make websites. So I taught myself how to code and I built a website and I was like, I just want people to be able to upload art that you could set as your background and then let anyone who comes to the site vote it up or vote it down. And so I like taught myself to code over a period of like three to six months and then finally got it posted online. And I was um, living in my apartment in Provo, my What were you studying at the time, by the way, at BYU? Information systems. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so everyone was partying and I was in there coding and just like... um, Putting in your time, Yeah, putting in my time. And then one day... I, so I had all of like, when you went to the website, it's still up now. It's called social wallpapering. Is it still making money? It's still making money. Whoa, yeah, that's it is crazy, so funny. crazy, dude. So it was my huge, it was like, honestly, my break. And it was maybe like the defining moment in my life that set me on one path because I was working, making like 12 bucks an hour, fixing computers. I was doing like 18 credit hours. And then I would come home and I would code. And so I, I, f- I finished the first version of the website and I had a bunch of art up there. I had like space wallpapers and nature wallpapers and like, I don't know, maybe had like a thousand things that people had uploaded and that I had uploaded. And then I posted it onto dig.com, which back in the day, dig was huge. Right now, the biggest like analogy to dig would be Reddit. Okay. And Reddit is massive. If I'm sure. sure there's a lot of people Definitely. on Reddit. So anyways, it, um, I posted it. It went onto the front page of Dig. And then I got a phone call from my web host and they said, you just took down your sites down and you also took down 300 other websites that were hosted on the same server. Cause I Cause was on the traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then I was like, what's going on? And I pulled it up and it was like 3 million page views in eight wow. hours. And so then I was like, I had kind of like this self-righteous, like I'm not going to put ads on like, this is just a community site. And then yeah. like uh, the next day I'm like, ah, whatever. I'll just go to Google AdSense and see how much money I can make. So I went to Google and I got the script tag that would let me put ads. And I just put ads like on a few spots on the site. And I woke up the next morning and I had $240 in my AdSense account. And I was like, that's the equivalent Way of working. Then $12 now, yeah,
0: right? Yeah, that was
1: like, that was like a full, like... Full week or <laughs> yeah, something. yeah, that was a full week of yeah. working part-time while you're at school, yeah. yeah. So then I was like I had kind of like this um maybe maybe it won't last. Like maybe I'm just lucky. Yeah. And then the um, scarcity like take yes. it while yeah, you can. Yeah. And so then what ha- so then I woke up the next day. It was like 260. Like, ooh, even higher. And then the next day I woke up like 210. Then the next day 220. And then the next day 2 like 230. And I'm like this is sustainable. This is going to run yeah. for the foreseeable future. So then about a week into it, I went into my boss uh, at my job and I'm like, I quit. <laughs> That's a cool yeah. moment. And then I and then I was like, I'm just going to focus on web development full time. And, and I think the biggest reason that was so impactful for me is when I was going to sleep, I would wake up and I had made money from an asset that I had created. And then the best part about it was there was no like customer that I had to deal with. It was just like, are people coming to the website and yeah. are they clicking on stuff and are they liking what they see? And so that- Which is
0: cool because before we started recording today, we were talking about the whys of our company, Financial Freedom, and you seem to have a passion for that. Yeah. And that, that uh, deals very directly with crypto. And so- I mean, that was it. You're making money in yeah, your sleep. Yeah. And I think at 22.
1: Yeah. And on the financial freedom side, I feel like if everyone can get to the point where their basics are covered by their assets, then I think that's where you start to unlock human potential. Totally. I don't think that you know what you can do in the world until you're free of a... Uh, having to work for an hourly wage or for a salary that Dude, you're dependent I, on.
0: I couldn't agree more. That that's what sparked my whole why is I feel like after selling for so after college I sold for six years before I got into the software company. And I feel like sitting in so many homes and living rooms, I just realized people are just treading water. Yeah. They can't even think with their creative side because they're just trying to keep food on the table and a place to sleep at night. Yeah. But I'm like, there's a better way.
1: Yeah. And it's hard because the the sacrifices I was making in the moment, um they don't seem significant but it was like yeah all these people want to go out and have fun and it's like no i'm going to sit down and i'm going to learn how to write code and how to make this stuff store in a database and how to sure. scale a server and it's like there was there wasn't enough time in the day and so i had to make a trade off there yeah and um, and it I, paid off though yeah. and i feel like so many successful people
0: friends, whoever I know, they all had to pay their time at some point and they all had to sacrifice when it wasn't the cool or fun or sexy thing to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you don't realize how big of an impact it's going to have in that moment.
1: Yeah. There is also a component which is difficult to replicate, which is just a psychotic obsession with wanting to get something done. For sure. And so I like Like, how, however we can cultivate that in ourselves, I think is critical.
0: One of my like influencers that I've always looked up to is Kobe Bryant. And I think he had that with basketball. Oh, totally. And that's what I loved about it is just his obsession to be great, you know? Yeah. Um, so another cool thing about Kirk is he started a company called Scan, who I've just kind of followed because um, one of my close friends, Javon Melendez, yeah, he worked there. Yeah. And that's one of my best buddies that I've grown up with my whole life. And then Garrett went to our high school. And my wife and I went to Lone Peak. But you started that with uh, Ben Hurley and Kirk. And yourself. So there's three founders, right?
1: So Garrett, so I was presenting uh, at BYU at this group called the Web Startup Group. And I was like, look how insane this is. Like if you guys make websites, the amount of traffic and like you can scale your own time because this is the first time in human history that a person can sit and in front of a computer make something and literally have millions of people immediately have access to it. That was like in history, that was gate kept by like giant corporations uh, and giant media companies. But now it's like, I can just type and then, I can type text files and now millions of people can look at it. It's impacting
0: tons of people. It's it's a crazy thought.
1: So Garrett was in the audience and then he caught me afterwards and he was like, "Uh, I wanna do something with you. So then um, he went and like my my favorite part about Garrett is uh, he went and he was he built a whole pitch deck on why I should work with him. Then he came over to my apartment and he presented me through each of the slides like exactly what uh, like what it would mean if we worked together. And at the end, I'm like, of course I'll work with you. <laughs> and then uh, he was making uh, a lot of marketing materials for BYU for like the soccer team and for a few other things on campus. And they always wanted QR codes so that they could people could go to a website we looked at all the QR code scanning apps. They were crap. Like the experience wasn't great. They were like, like thrown together. And then also on the creation side of like generating a QR code, that wasn't clean. So Garrett was in the design program and he went and designed a really beautiful, simple app hmm. and a website. And so I was like, I can bang out the website. And you wrote
0: the code. Yeah, and He then, was design. you were the code. Yep.
1: And then Ben, our third partner, he wrote the iOS app, which ended up being okay. instrumental. And so I had, we didn't really have a clue of the power of the iOS app store. And so we were in this moment where we stumbled into success. Uh, First of all, we were free to do it. I was free to do it because I had income coming from my websites. Which is important. Yeah. Um, But when we got our app on the app store, we were were at a point where the iPhone, there was the iPhone 3GS, and it was like barely good enough to be able to scan from the camera and have a high enough resolution. Where it could scan code. What year
0: is this, by the way? Oh
1: my gosh, 2000, this is like 20, like, 2013. Okay, so that's about nine years ago. Okay, so we launched it, and then I remember in the first month we got a hundred thousand installs, and like I had been used to seeing millions of page views on my site, but I knew that a hundred thousand app installs was kind of a big deal for sure. And, uh, and so we just rode this trend. And one of the other things that we got really lucky on is the naming of our app and totally our company.
0: crazy. So
1: yeah, so Garrett, like when we came up with our LLC name, he was like, I like the name uh, QR Code City uh, as our company name. And I'm like, that's, it's like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. So uh, I went and registered QR Code City LLC, and okay. then our app was scan. So one of the things that we got really lucky on is if you type in a company name, in the app store, uh, it's going to rank those results really high. So if we typed in your company name, it's like, yeah, I want to see all the apps by Empower, or I want to see all the apps by Google. Yeah. And so the fact that people would type QR code, and that that was in our company name, meant that in the search results, we always showed up at the top. And so that led to us getting 20, 30, 40, 50,000 installs, because people would just, we just had... SEO built in. For sure cuz well you're mixing the company name with a real world application, exactly. right? Scan. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. so
0: brilliant. And so the story goes on, it got sold to Snapchat for 54 million. Yep. And you guys were all in your 20s at the time. Yep. So I mean, yeah. just insane like the ideal success story. What have you been doing since then?
1: Oh, so since the sale I worked at Snapchat for 5 years. Okay. I set up an office in Utah. And uh, and then I also had a, a team in LA, and then I was flying back and forth for about three years. I ran the team that does all the creative tools. So okay. anytime you take a snap, you can put filters on it, and you can type on it and draw on it and do all this stuff. So I ran that team. And then I also ran the team that handled our music integration where- Dang, so that's we sick. So we worked with all the people to be able to get, and we got Shazam integrated so that you could Shazam from that's Snapchat. Rad. That is so crazy. Yeah, and then right before COVID, I retired. Uh, and I was like, I'm just going to go party with my kids, and then COVID happened, um, and so we ended up. Uh, it was kind of a nice time just to focus on family, and then cool. started building a house, and um, and then doing a ton of startup investing and advising. Cool. So
0: love that. So that kind of leads us into crypto, what we want to dive into deep today. And so, why? I'm guessing that you were probably getting into Bitcoin around the same time you were starting Scan.
1: Uh, a little bit before. Before, yeah. So, even. yeah, I have always been um, just always checking up on the latest news around technology and development. And so the first time I found about Bitcoin, it was a dollar. Um, one dollar. Yeah, it was one dollar. And then I was like, you're Thatcher. <laughs> your... <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like, it was super sketchy back then. And oh, so sure. Yeah, there was a website called uh, Mt. Gox, M-T-G-O-X. And, yeah. It stood for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. And a kid wow. in Japan had made a website to trade Magic the Gathering trading cards. Okay. And then he found out about Bitcoin and then he just changed the name meaning from Magic the Gathering Online Exchange to Mt. Gox. Really? And so that was the only place for like three years where you could trade and buy Bitcoin. And in order to buy, you had to do a wire to Japan and it would credit you and then you could go and trade. And so when I found about the principles of Bitcoin, which I think are like those are the things that were the most compelling to me at the time, I'm like, I'm going to buy uh, Bitcoin and hold it, even though at the point, at like at that time, it was like this is the most ridiculous idea ever that these guys can just make up their own money. But when you dive into the technology, you can uh, now I think that within the next decade, we're going to look at how money is created um, yeah. by governments, and we're going to look at Bitcoin and be like. How could money just be made by governments? Absolutely. Like that <laughs> like Absolutely. that's ridiculous.
0: Now it's crazy to think back to those years because so at that time I was getting into um quadcopters, drones. Yeah. Which I was like 5 or 6 years too early. I had to buy all these random parts from China and stuff. And you couldn't buy anything in the US at that time. But I was in the wrong freaking thing, dude. I should have been studying Bitcoin. <laughs> it at doesn't time. matter. There's still so <laughs> many opportunities. Yeah. So. So that's cool. So um, blockchain, decentralization, and just hearing about your past, like you were always looking into the new tech that was coming out. So it's probably yeah. kind of a natural thing to study or geek out on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what got you super passionate about it? Was it more like, this is a new tech, or did you see this as something that could change the world, or?
1: Yeah. It was honestly the politics of it. Um, and so like, I think the first core thing to Bitcoin is, if you remember the story about how my web server went down, um, that was because I was on a centralized hosting platform where there was a single point of failure. Mm. So if my web host goes down, yeah. my website's no longer available, I'm not making any money, And uh, because of that centralization, uh, you've got to like, you're exposed to a lot of risks. And so what Bitcoin said is, guys, we're gonna create a program that anyone can install. And when you run it, it'll connect to all the other people um, who are on the network and we'll all follow the same rules. And if any of your guys' computers go offline, that doesn't matter. The network will still be up because we just need at least two computers on. Yeah. Like, that's all we need. But right now there are like thousands or hundreds of thousands it's of Bitcoin nodes. Pretty safe nodes. now. Yeah, yeah, like it's not going down. And but the other important component to it is it cannot be forcefully taken down. When they, the goal of when uh, the internet was created was to create a durable infrastructure where, in the event of a nuclear attack, information could still be routed around any major outage areas. So if a geographical area is wiped out. It's pretty much the same concept, yeah, right? Yeah. So there's going
0: to be internet somewhere in the world yes, to preserve that information. Exactly.
1: And so Bitcoin being the currency of the internet means that no matter what, you could have a whole country go offline, which we just saw happen with China, where China came out and they said, we're banning Bitcoin, we're banning the mining, turn it all off. And like- a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. I think it was about a month or month something. ago? Yeah, yeah. Recent. Yeah. And- all of China went offline, De- like the Bitcoin network just kept cranking and like the price dropped for a little bit, a p- bunch of people bought more. And it's like, yeah, if you don't wanna play the, the game of uh, the tr- we're doing a transition from, we're, we're switching to be able to have a, a global currency that all of us can share and use. And if you've ever traveled internationally, you just get, it's so annoying. Cause you land in Mexico and it's like, I need pesos. And it's like, okay, what's the exchange rate and what's their fee and how many do I need? And do I need to carry around cash? Yeah. And uh, are they gonna accept my credit cards? And it's then you like, get stuck with cash. Like yeah.
0: We just got back from Greece a couple
1: weeks ago and, and we forgot to change, exchange all of our cash. Yeah, now we're like just yeah. stuck with Greece yeah.
0: money. And so I totally get it.
1: So there's a mental model called the reverse model. And you basically say, if a given product is created and goes in the world, um, ask yourself, what would it be like if we had to go back to the way it was before and see if it makes sense? And this idea of I land in a country and I have to convert my currency into their currency. And then I have to do that and make sure I do it on the way back out sure. versus we all just have a shared currency that we believe in. Yeah. And that is universally accessible and available. Like that is clearly the better way. And it's clearly the way that we're trending and going.
0: Definitely. Cause I mean, as a tech guy, you look at decentralized versus centralized. That's huge right there. Then you look at, do you trust government to manage money? Yeah. And that's a whole other thing, right?
1: So trust is something that is built um, slowly and over time, and it's it's built especially in times of conflict. And so I think one of the reasons that Bitcoin will continue to be so volatile in its price and go up and down is because if we're all going to switch to a new currency that we're going to use, it needs to be battle tested. It needs to be tried and true. And so it will take decades more um, for to us refine to refine that. Yep, to refine that and to have people it's just like, hey guys, this has been cranking for 30 years now. Yeah, we trust it. It's good for sure. And so, but that that's something where you can't prove that out except by time. Um, but over let's the, talk about this because
0: yeah. this is a topic I wanted to get into that I'm sure everybody wants to know too of your opinion is because and. Actually, let's start with Satosh, Satoshi, and then let's come back to that, because yeah. this will give better context. Okay. So Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder, we don't really know for sure
1: who he is, right? Yeah. So I was in the space while he was still posting. And so... So the early days. It sucked when and he... And there's w- just a couple yeah. people. I've heard you talk
0: about how Finney. Yeah. And then one other guy, what yeah. was his name? Oh, I can't remember, but... But they I'm met sure with the CIA or something, CIA approached them, and then at that point... Yeah. That's when all posting
1: stopped. Yeah. So Satoshi came out, and he had gathered the work of a bunch of people, and kind of like put it all together into this blockchain-based system, and given it the name Bitcoin. So he didn't like all creative uh, like projects. He didn't single-handedly code Bitcoin from scratch. His creative effort was to take the technology that was uh, made by his other crypto uh, like. Uh, crypto that peers. So the idea of a blockchain, yeah, uh, that was something that had already existed, um, but no one had built in this whole proof of work mechanism and the currency mechanism and the mining. So he, that was his, that was his like greatest work was to tie, work, it, was all to tie it all together yeah. into a single project and then have a community involved. And so in the beginning, uh, Satoshi was the only one mining Bitcoin, and uh, and so there's a there's a supply of Bitcoin that's going to be uh, followed. And that's part of the rules that, uh, are p- part of the network, which secures the network, which is, Hey guys, every time we find a new block, which on average will be every 10 minutes, there's going to be a reward given. And that reward is called the Coinbase. And that's what the company Coinbase is named, after. named after,
0: which is really cool. Yeah. It's a, but that's essentially mining what you just described. Yep, exactly. right? Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. And so your computers are running, finding the blocks. And so Satoshi mined a million Bitcoins. And so there's only 21 million in the total supply. And so there are so many addresses watching his coins to see if they'll ever move because once he went dark and stopped communicating, they haven't moved, right? They haven't moved. And they're sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. They're sitting
0: there. And which, it's... What's your personal stance? Does that lead you to believe that he's passed? I think he's dead. Okay. and Because that would be hard not to do something. Yeah. If you were the founder, you're live, you're watching this, maybe yeah. invest in other cryptos. I don't know. But yeah. just to let it sit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it could have been Hal Finney or it could have been a group of people that were collaborating together. It was most likely a single individual. Okay. And um, if they aren't passed, then it would be one of the greatest shocks to the world to have them post. And to stay
0: quiet. That would take a ton of of discipline.
1: The beauty of uh, cryptography is that if he still – like the other thing that would be really sad is if he lost his private key. So, uh, basically the, th- the,
0: cause he probably passed it on to his family or and maybe, or maybe, 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 maybe not because yeah, like, maybe
1: they didn't even know what a key was yeah, or how to do that. Yeah. So imagine a key is just, uh, uh, it's if, imagine if you just typed in a notepad, um, I think it's, I think the, the private 64. Keys, yeah 64 characters yeah. long and, uh, that those 64 characters, just by the way that math works, uh, are unguessable. So, if you were to like, oh, let's let's see if I can guess Satoshi's password, it would eat up the entire energy of our star, our sun. Uh, it would take all the computers on the earth and you wouldn't even get a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent into trying to crack it. That's, that's the insane. power of the cryptography. and that's it's, why they do yeah. 64. Yeah, 64 is long yeah. enough, and like it's and like the latest changes to the protocol make it quantum resistant. So even if you have a quantum computer that's guessing as fast as it can, it's still, like uh, theoretically impossible to guess it.
0: I think it's called the hexadecimal. Yep. The 64. Yeah,
1: 64 hex, yep, 64 and hex. Yep. So there's 16 different options for every for every one of the digits. What do you think
0: about, is there any way I've, I've watched, you know, because you can go down these rabbit holes. I remember watching the YouTube about how some people think Elon Musk could be the... No, zero no. chance. Okay. Yeah, zero chance. All right. <laughs> okay, we shut that down fast. Okay. So this brings us back to what we were going to talk about If Satoshi is passed and nobody's really manning Bitcoin anymore, one of the questions that I have with my very little knowledge is, can that continue to evolve and be tried and tested for the next 30 years? Or is a different crypto like Ethereum or something else going to rise above? What's your stance? That's
1: such a good question. So this is, I've been watching this closely and, um, what we're seeing now is honestly what something that I'm so excited about which is just decentralized finance and so and it's Satoshi's vision come to life and so I'll I'll try to give a overview of that but okay. the gist of it is with bitcoin once like once Satoshi kind of finished the initial version and like we got enough of the miners on it initially i would say it's maybe changed like 5% uh, and it looks like that code will most likely never change. Right. And how it's built now is how it's gonna be.
0: Cause one detail with this too, I was reading about it is that there's a one megabyte limit yeah. and there's a lot of yeah. you know talk that we need more. yeah. So like, yeah. that's just one example of how it probably needs to change, but it's not.
1: It won't change, yeah. So there is, there's a transaction limit of seven transactions per second that the network can handle. The reason why that was there is because people were trying to upload child pornography into the blockchain because the fees were so cheap. And in every transaction, you could put any bit of data you wanted. And so people were trying to basically grief the project and be like, oh yeah, you're gonna store a decentralized database of all of our information okay, I'm going to upload pictures into this. I'm going to upload all kinds of crap into this. So Satoshi went in and said, one megabyte limit. And so it's going to be expensive if you want to put any data in here. So he
0: was trying to combat that. He
1: was trying to deal with spam. Wow. Yeah. And so he said, like in his comment, that they would change it later. But then uh, he hasn't posted in 10 years. And so it's just going to stay how it is. And I think that's totally fine. That's what I, where I've landed, okay. is that Bitcoin, uh, its promise or its promise to the world was, I'm gonna be a decentralized peer-to-peer cash where I can send anyone any amount. The problem is is that because of the spam issue, uh, in order for me to send you uh, any amount of Bitcoin right now, the fee is roughly around $4. Sometimes the fee goes as much as to $20 or $40. It's an auction market. Just think so depending that depending on demand at that yeah, time, Just right? think that every 10 minutes you have one megabyte of transactions you can do. Yeah. And so if there's a lot of people who want their transaction in the next 10 minutes done, yeah. then they'll just pay whatever price. Sure. And like everyone who holds Bitcoin, like these large companies and these high net worth individuals, they don't care about paying a hundred dollar fee. Yeah. And so what that means is that now Bitcoin is kind of like digital gold instead of digital cash. And I think that means that its upside potential, it will be capped by that because it's a lot more valuable to fulfill the cash narrative. Like there are like… I'm
0: being a true cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something… But it served its purpose as far as opening the door to that
1: world, right? So if you want to think about how to value Bitcoin, right now Bitcoin in aggregate is worth $1 trillion. The fact that that's true blows my mind.
0: Just <laughs> to give every listener's context, Apple as a company is around $2 trillion. Yeah, yeah. And that's the biggest company yeah. that we have in yeah, the United on, States yeah, right now. Yeah, So Bitcoin is almost
1: there. Yeah. So the fact that it's worth a trillion dollars is insane. And uh, I think the other thing that is interesting is that all of the gold in the world is worth around $10 trillion. So if you think about what's the use of gold, well, it has some intrinsic value because it's used in electronics, but the majority of gold is sitting in Fort Knox and other vaults and it's used yeah. as a store of value. The problem is, is that it's really difficult to move and it's super annoying to transfer it. And uh, you, it's very difficult to maintain possession over it. You don't want to have $10 million worth of gold in your house. Like, that's, like if someone heard that, they're going to- sure. It's a liability. It's a huge liability. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that Bitcoin's market cap for like how big it could get in the near term, is I think that it could meet and uh, eventually pass the value of all of all of the gold, Uh, because Bitcoin is a far it's far superior to gold as a store of value, its ability to be transferred, and as soon as and we're going to see this in the next few years, um, retirement plans that are auto buying these four hundred one ks they're starved for diversification. What does mm-hmm. a 401k plan buy? Well, it just buys the general stock market, which is every every public company. To not have a 1% exposure sure. to Bitcoin sure. is irresponsible at this point. Yeah. And as soon as the 401k institutional money yep. transfers over, as soon yeah. as that comes in, we'll start to see the price of Bitcoin. So I think if you were to just ask me for price targets, and just as I watch the space, I look yeah. at Bitcoin now, it's 50,000 bucks or 57,000 a yeah. coin. I think that by 2030, it's definitely going to be between 500 thousand to a million per coin or higher. Um, Just and if we get to 500 thousand a coin, that puts us roughly uh, competing with the market cap of gold. Gold, but do millennials care about gold? Does the new generation care about hoarding gold? Like,
0: yeah, I think our parents did.
1: Yeah, but I think the new people, like uh, the new generation, they want to have like digital gold. Yeah, and so. Bitcoin will fill that role, um, but I don't think that we're going to see Bitcoin go a thousand X higher from where it is now, or a hundred X higher from where it is now, at least in the short term. Like it will go up, and one of the main reasons it will go up is because there's not much available. So, which, which is one point for your argument that there's a fixed supply.
0: And it's deflationary at the same time because people lose their coins or whatever. (laughs) So, not only is it fixed,
1: it's actually shrinking. It's shrinking, yeah. And so, just think about it this way there's 21 million total coins. They'll all be mined by 2030, 2040. Um, And like the amount that are being issued every year is dropping off, I think it's logarithmically. So, it's like it's slow. Like right now, there's 12.5 Bitcoin rewarded every 10 minutes, then it'll be 6.75. And then okay. it'll go three and a half and then it'll go one and a half and that block having until it's gone and, yeah until yeah. it reaches asymptotic and then it's essentially zero and that'll be around 20 i think twenty forty is if i remember correctly but
0: so that's why it acts like a gold
1: yeah and eventually and like eventually the new supply being issued from mining will um it'll be negligible it'll just be a fraction of a percent we're already almost there i think that we're at like 16 million out of the 21 million mined. So we're already almost fully distributed. Um, there's only a few million left for us to, which in, to mine. Which in
0: terms of time, how much
1: time do we have on that? I, I think that by 2030, we're going to see most of the okay. coins gone. And then you'll only have a few remaining percent that'll be mined. So if you think about it, um, and this, this to me was the core thing of interest, which is it's an idea that we've all decided ahead of time that this is scarce and that the supply will not change. That is the value proposition of Bitcoin, because any other currency that you can hold, you have no guarantee that the supply isn't gonna increase. If you think about it as as holding, like one of the ways that you can get screwed when you create a company uh, is that you can make the company and you could have, let's say that you have you half keep of the company. Issuing new shares, And right? then the, if more shares are issued yeah. and more shares are issued. You're getting diluted. You're getting diluted. And you're like, yeah. wait, I thought I owned 50% of the company. And you guys just went up and made up uh, all these new shares. And now yeah. I only hold 10% of the company. Yeah.
0: That's uh, with- if you your, had 100,000, you thought there's a million. Yeah. And you still keep your 100,000, but now there's 10 million. Yeah. so with, And a lot of companies do that. And a lot of new cryptos do that.
1: Yes. And so you have to be- and this is where you've got to be psychotically obsessed uh, if you're going to go into the crypto space and try to buy new crypto, is you have to say, what are the tokenomics of this coin? And that's kind of like this new term. And tokenomics covers, a, uh, it's a framework for evaluating how a token is issued okay. and how the supply works. So the tokenomics of Bitcoin are there's 21 million coins, they're uh, distributed according to this graph, and they'll all be distributed by 2040. And none will ever be distributed ever again. And that, those are the tokenomics. So that is a fixed supply, uh, and it is deflationary. It's actually hyper deflationary. And so when it crashes, it crashes up, not down, mm-hmm. as long as demand stays constant. And so uh, other projects, so like, for example, if you look at Ethereum, Ethereum historically has been disinflationary. And what that means is, that I think it was they're minting 5 million new coins a year.
0: Yeah, it's on a schedule. Yep. But they are issuing new ones. Yep. But the schedule probably helps it. It's not just like whenever yeah. and as much as they want, right? Yeah.
1: So, um, but what's awesome about the Ethereum community is Vitalik, who is the living like driver of the project. He has no qualms making major changes and getting consensus. And so, they just recently passed a new um, a new protocol change to Ethereum which uh allows uh there's a mechanism that burns ethereum tokens as part of doing transactions and so the amount of ethereum being burned now is starting to surpass the amount of ethereum being minted oh, and wow. so they behave like ethereum is actually going to switch to being wow. deflationary like bitcoin and wow. so people are super bullish on that and they're like okay. yeah, we can we can change this thing and we can be dynamic now what where bitcoin's value is is we're not going to change the rules and so we're not going to like the rules are what Satoshi said, which can be good and bad. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so it'll have its place in that conservative, uh, in the conservative world. So I think that's like so Satoshi. I think will go down as one of the heroes of uh, of our time. Brilliant. Um, and and for essentially allowing, I, I think the key point on the philosophical and political level with uh, Bitcoin is this is one of the first times in human history that you can have sovereign ownership. Over property that is unseizable, uh, and you don't need a bank account, and it is, and there's no intermediary that holds it for you. Like this house I'm building, um, where is the title to the house? Well, that's held in Highland City. Sure. And uh, there could, could be on the blockchain. <laughs> well, eventually, if Highland City wants to adopt yeah. that, and I'm actually um, advising a company that is going to start uh, taking houses and Fractionalizing them into tokens so that you can wow. have partial ownership. Wow, That'll, that's coming! That's like, like, that's coming for sure. But, um, you haven't really been able to own anything that is outright yours in history, there's always been some intermediary that manages it for you. So, yeah, you can hold cash, but the, the value of that cash uh, is dependent on whether or not the government will issue more, uh, or not. Uh, you can hold a home, but the title of that home is ultimately held uh, by the government. Um, And so there's just there's but with Bitcoin, you can install an app on your phone, I could send you right now $100 million in Bitcoin. uh, And you could take possession of that. And it's yours. No one can take it away from you. They would have to know the private key. And so a lot of people memorize uh, their what's called their seed phrase. And it's 12 words that when they're put into a computer function will generate those 64 Mm. characters. Okay. And so if you wanted to, and this would be super risky because you'd be depending on your mind, uh, you could just memorize that your 12 word seed phrase. Without writing it down. Without writing it down. And you could go anywhere in the world and install any Bitcoin wallet, type in your seed phrase and there's your money. That's called (laughs) a brain wallet.
0: Yeah, but I mean, don't forget the words to the point of the internet, which is always being able to survive. I shouldn't say always, but a good chance statistically.
1: Yeah,
0: I don't like chances with one person, right? (laughs) If you have a stroke, you can't talk, you can't think, you can't write, you die. Like that's pretty risky.
1: So there's some other like so. This brings up a really good topic which we should touch on for just a minute, which is self custody versus having someone be a, a custodian of your coins. Yeah. So what does it mean to be a a custodian of Bitcoin? What that means is that you are in control of your private key. Well, if you just wrote that down in Apple notes and someone hacks your iCloud account, uh, they could steal all your money. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of people, I think the mainstream uh, users of Bitcoin will rely on a third party uh, like such as Coinbase or Gemini or Robinhood or PayPal to hold their keys for them. I think that this goes counter to what Satoshi intended because the goal was to not have centralized organizations hold your assets for you. Sure. The goal is for everyone to be their own custodian. And so there's a bunch of different hardware products that you can put your keys on. I get nervous about losing those. Yeah. And so So what do you personally do? So I... I think that a balanced approach is best where you have some stored in custodians, but you don't want all your Bitcoin on one custodian. So, like, you don't want all your coins on Coinbase, depending on the amount, right?
0: So, you diversify.
1: Yeah, so you're going to put some in Coinbase, you'll put some in uh, Gemini, you'll put some, and then you'll have some of your own. Um, and then you can uh, have a safety deposit box where you have your private key printed out and put it there. It all depends on how much you have and how liquid you want it. Because once you've, if you wanna like, it's called cold storage and it's when you literally don't have anything except for a printed piece of paper with your key like that is very difficult for someone to hack. They would have to have physical possession of that paper. Yeah. So I think the latest in technology is, uh, and this is what you can do to pass Bitcoin on um, in the event of you dying or getting in an accident or something like that, is you can do what's called Shamir's secret uh, secret splitting. And you can basically say, out of these uh, five people, I'm all going to give them a piece of my key. And then if I want to get the whole key, okay. I can get, I only need three of them. That's smart. And if I get three of them, then they can uh, get access to my coins. Yeah. And so... And the five or three people don't know who each other are? Uh, they could or could not. Okay. But they would, they would probably need to know, it, like, let's say that you had a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and then you died. Well, it's like... Your spouse would probably have a portion of the key and then your best friend, and then maybe like another person and they could all get together and then do a transaction on your behalf.
0: I kind of see it as a pendulum. I don't know if this is the right way, but the colder you go, probably the higher risk, right? It's on paper. Your house burns up in flames. Yeah. It's a lot of risk, but the warmer you go probably less risk on losing it, but maybe you can get hacked. Yeah, I don't know, but you have more access, easier yeah. to keep track of, I don't know, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. If you're, let's say that you, let's just talk about like portfolio and asset allocation. So everyone should know how much, what you should get an idea of what your net worth is. And so your net worth is gonna be the sum of all of your assets that you hold. So like, let's say that you have a house and you've got a bank account and you have stocks, let's say you add that all up and you have $250,000 of net worth. I think, um, and you're also talking to a crypto psychopath, but I think that at least 10% of everyone's net worth should Should be be in in crypto. crypto. So if you have 250K, you should have 25K in in crypto. Okay. And so then the question is, well, what crypto do I hold? Well, if you just want to be very simple about it, just buy Bitcoin and just buy it on Coinbase. They're heavily regulated. They have fantastic security and they've proven that. Um, and they have incredible revenue. And so in the event that they were hacked, uh, they would be able to recover your coins. So it would be as simple as buy $25,000 of crypto on Coinbase and let it just sit there. But we've got some new products that are coming out.
0: Yeah, this, this is what I wanted to <laughs> yeah. get into with you because let, let's go through an actual scenario. Yeah. So kind of backtracking a little bit, and then we'll come right back here. Back to the gold versus cash scenario. If I have... Let's say I'm worth a million dollars and I make a hundred grand a year. Yeah. I'm not going to keep a hundred grand in gold. I'm going to mostly use cash, but I might keep a little bit of gold in a safe or somewhere. Right. And so Bitcoin to me is kind of like the gold. There's going to be other products like cash that continue to evolve. Like we used to buy and sell with silver gold as a human species. Then cash just became so much more applicable for different reasons. Yeah. That's kind of like crypto in a way. And I'm not going to say what percentage Bitcoin is or whatever, but they're similar, right? Yeah. The cash could evolve. These other cryptos can evolve or Bitcoin can't. So with that same scenario now, back to what we were just talking about, let's say somebody had a hundred grand that represented the 10% and they're like, man, Kirk, that's a dope idea. I want to do that. If I had a hundred K, how would you split that up? Yeah. Knowing that Bitcoin's Probably the gold and there's these other ones. Would because I've heard different people say thirty percent bit, thirty percent ETH, thirty percent altcoins. Yeah. And mix it up. Like how would you split up that hundred K?
1: Depends on how much work you want to do. So my challenge to everyone listening is for you to be what's called a whole coiner. Okay. So whole coiner. a whole coiner. Guys, we're deep in the yeah. rabbit hole yeah. right okay. now. We're whole <laughs> coining right now. Okay. So the <laughs> yeah. So the thing is is like when Bitcoin was like a hundred bucks, okay. there was a joke in the community that eventually owning one Bitcoin would be out of reach for the common person. Wow.
0: And people were just like, No way. Yeah. And I'll be like, like That'll, that'll be never crazy. happen. It's yeah. like,
1: dude, fifty seven K for a freaking Bitcoin, like that's okay. a lot of money. For and sure. So it's hard to be a whole coiner.
0: Real quick, I'm just gonna yeah. pause for two seconds. What did you think back in twenty twelve? Like what was your selling on Bitcoin? Oh it's thousand just like- thousand bucks
1: uh, when it went from when I bought it a dollar and it was three uh, 360 I sold a bunch yeah because I was like, this is freaking- three hundred
0: sixty or three dollar sixty cents uh
1: three hundred sixty okay yeah like I, I went to, it went to 110 and I was like, this is insane uh, but then I bought more and this is another thing that's interesting in investing is oftentimes when something doubles um your inclination will be to dump the bag. And for that's sure. and that's like a casino type thing. It's like, I'm up on craps or I'm up on slots. Yeah, quit like, while you're ahead. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, okay, well, if, and this is, this is about coming down to principled investment. If something that you believe in for the long-term doubles, you should probably double down. And it's, it's hard to do that for sure. But like if, so that's
0: what Warren Buffett says to do when everybody's selling, you buy.
1: Wealth is going to be made through concentration um, and, and through, through concentration, not diversification. Diversification will protect wealth, but gaining wealth is done through concentration. And so if you want to make a lot of money in a short period of time, you should own a lot of equity in a, a business that you make or a business that you're working at that you know you can influence it. Totally. And so with Bitcoin, you should strive to become a whole coiner. And I wouldn't worry about any of the other coins until you're a whole coiner. Okay. And so it's like, hey, I'm saving up. It's like, all I want to know is I, I know that I have one 21 millionth of the Bitcoin network. And that one bitcoin, uh, just based on the, the conservative price estimates of Bitcoin competing with gold, which I think it's far superior, should be worth anywhere from $500,000 a coin to a million dollars a coin within the next decade, uh, which will be fun. Like to me, it's even insane for me to think about that. But as I see Bitcoin now at $57,000 a coin, I'm like, there's no way we're not going to hit a million dollars a coin, because I am so bullish. And this is me buying for the long time. I'm not dumping. I'm like, how do I get more coins? Because El Salvador, this is like the biggest news for me for Bitcoin in the last few years. The president of El Salvador, El Salvador's whole country, uh, their, their whole currency has been the U.S. dollar. Okay. And so you have this whole group of people where their savings and their wages and everything is based on the United States and, the, and whatever the United States does. So the president of El Salvador says, we are going to take Bitcoin and we're going to make that legal currency equivalent to U.S. dollars, and we're going to give everyone in the country $30 in Bitcoin. So it was, and that happened last month and it was the first time in history. Now Bitcoin, if you, and, and he said- Wow, he said, I had no yeah, idea yeah, about this. He said publicly, if anyone who holds Bitcoin in the world wants to come to El Salvador, no capital gains tax. This is money here. Wow. It's not an asset. That's progressive. Yeah, and so, and that was when Bitcoin was around 40,000 a coin and it dumped the day that um, the actual announcement took, like where the actual law took effect. Bitcoin dump like crazy. And then the president of El Salvador is such a badass, and he's like tweeted, he's like, we're buying. (laughs) We're buying as it's dumping. He doubled down. Yeah, he doubled down. And so now everyone in El Salvador who got their $30 in Bitcoin, which by the way, 2.1 million people are daily active users of the app. You can walk into McDonald's in El Salvador and instantly pay for anything uh, like your meal. And so there's people tweeting about that. And it's like, that's the first country guys there are now. There's been like ten other countries that announced that they're looking at integrating it, having it be their their uh, a currency that is, not. It's they're not going to treat it like an asset, like a stock. They're going to say no. This is money here. Wow. And so, for me to see that and to see that trend happening more and more and more, it just makes me so bullish on Bitcoin and crypto in general.
0: Yeah, and back to your point about prices. So I I lost. About eighty grand in crypto in twenty seventeen, yeah, because of the emotional mindset that you're talking about. Oh, you about. dumped? I dumped. No, because I I got in like in November and was yeah. buying Bitcoin and Ethereum yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, and then it peaked. It I think it peaked about thirteen grand, right? Yeah, and so and then the next year in the that crash, so to speak, in twenty eighteen, Bitcoin got down to three. And I remember at the time like thirteen thousand people thought that was so high. Like it's never going to get back there. That was crazy. Yeah. Then here we are at 57. Yeah. But to your point, if it's at 500 K in 10 years, we'll look back and think 57. That was a huge,
1: yeah. that was nothing. It was a huge opportunity. Huge how, opportunity. how did yeah. I not buy when the, when El Salvador, a country made it legal tender? Yeah. How and how did you I saw not these buy.
0: little things yeah. to progress yeah. it.
1: And that's why it's like, look, Crypto, Bitcoin specifically, it's a long-term play. This sure. is gonna pay for your kid's education and their kid's education. And that one Bitcoin that you hold, if you become a whole coiner is, uh, this is like a legacy that you're creating. This is the first chain, it's Satoshi's chain. It's not going away. And uh, and you should strive to have enough money to be able to hold one Bitcoin and have that for your family. Now here's what's cool, is the products that are coming out that make it even better. like. Oh my gosh, it's so The innovation that's happening in the space. Okay, so let's say you've got your one Bitcoin now. Okay. And where do we want to put it? Well, it's kind of annoying and a pain to like have my own key and have the paper thing and like what if the paper burns or whatever. So my practical advice here is you're going to take half of your Bitcoin. You'll take 0.5 Bitcoin, which is roughly, what's that, 25K. And you'll deposit that at BlockFi. Okay. So what is BlockFi? So
0: you're saying take half of it.
1: Yeah. So take... Some portion of your holdings, and you're going to go to BlockFi.com and deposit your Bitcoin there, and you're going to earn an interest rate of around anywhere from 3 to 7% on that Bitcoin, paid back in Bitcoin. Annually? Annually. Okay. So now your Bitcoin, not only is it uh, exposed to the deflationary nature of the limited supply of Bitcoin and have it be exposed to all of those price effects of it going up, but now every month you're going to get a payment from BlockFi because they're... They're doing what all the banks are doing and they're taking, uh, they're taking Bitcoin and they're creating what are called asset-backed loans. So this is a financial strategy that I think is so interesting uh, and it's called buy, borrow, die. Um, and what it is, is let's say that you have a house, like let's say that you got really lucky and you bought like a, a house in San Francisco for, fi- you know, for 200K and now it's like 2 million bucks. Yeah. Well, what you can do is you can go borrow against your house and you can get a mortgage on your house and you can go uh, have fun in life and do whatever you want to do uh, because you have an asset that you can borrow against. Well, what people are doing with their Bitcoin is they're depositing Bitcoin at BlockFi and they're saying, I never want to sell my Bitcoin and pay capital gains on that. But I do have an expense, like I, I need to do an upgrade to my house or my car's old or whatever. So people are borrowing against their Bitcoin U.S. dollars. Uh, And they're paying a really low interest rate. Uh, On some of these sites, your interest rate can be literally 1%. Wow. And what happens... Super disruptive. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is, let's say that you deposit a million dollars of Bitcoin. You can borrow up to $300,000 against that and have a 1% interest rate. Well, your Bitcoin is going to appreciate, on average, more than 1% per year. And so you never need to sell. Uh, And then uh, you can use other sources of income to pay off your debt as you want. Um, Yeah. Or you can sell off appreciation in your own Bitcoin as it grows to uh, pay off your debt, and and let it ride.
0: But if you're making three to seven percent on your holding anyways, yeah. why wouldn't you pay the one percent? You're exactly. still netting yeah four exactly. or five whatever.
1: So you have BlockFi, which is one, and then you That's also cool. But another one that I really like is Gemini, and this is done by the Winklevoss twins, uh, who started Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. And so you can go to Gemini.com and they have a product called Gemini Earn and you okay. can take your Bitcoin and deposit it into Gemini Earn and make that same APY. So now what, you four have- Four to 5%. Yeah. Now, if you think about this, very similar to the wallpaper website, you're going to wake up and every day that Bitcoin is earning you a little bit of money, right? And like without you doing anything. And so that's a critical thing is now- Most people, if you want an asset that produces value for you, you've got to go buy a house. It's super annoying. You've got tenants you have to deal with. Uh, Like, it's very rare to be able to find an asset that will produce uh, passive income. And so now these products like uh, BlockFi, Gemini Earn, Celsius, there's a bunch of other ones. uh, You can split your Bitcoin up against these and uh, borrow it out to people who want to borrow it. Yeah. And, Dude, that's so and cool. make a passive income. So, are any things. of
0: these coins in itself, or all these just accounts that you can? Those are all accounts okay. that I mentioned. Right. But cool. there's
1: many, many coins which we can talk about too. So,
0: back to the hundred grand scenario, if you were in, let's say, one of our reps used hundred grand, would you take fifty-seven of that and go buy a Bitcoin, and then kind of split up the rest, or what would you do in that scenario? Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So the hundred grand scenario. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you gotta. So you just have to have a mental mindset of. Once I'm a whole coiner, I'm never selling that coin. So, so this is and yeah. this
0: is assuming that this is money that they can afford to lose. Yes. And it's strictly long-term exactly. investment, right? Exactly, right? yep. Th- so this then is what, like, yeah what do you do with this that? This is then?
1: I'm putting that money. Set it and forget it, basically. I'm gonna forget that I even have it. I'm yeah. gonna throw it in BlockFi and Gemini, and I'm gonna let that stack interest. If I wanna sell the interest to pay for little things, I can I can take the interest that it's paying out and sell that if you want cash. But you should adopt a personal principle of i never sell that one bitcoin i want to own a piece of history i want to own a piece of what this means for the world and i, I want to own that for my family and for my descendants uh, and so i think that would be a good mindset but then you can sell the interest that you make off of it sure
0: or use that to buy more coins or something yeah of course yeah.
1: well that's what <laughs> that's called being called a bitcoin maximalist which is where you just want to have as much bitcoin as possible sure so, anyway, so you take your 57k, and now you've got your one bitcoin. So you would
0: do that then. Absolutely, you would go yeah. buy the whole bitcoin, okay?
1: Yeah, buy the whole bitcoin, and then you've got another uh, 43k. 43k. Yeah. So you may say, hey, I want some exposure to some of the other innovation in the space, and basically, you just have to realize that the game you're playing is all of these coins are kind of like a casino, and the value of these coins are going to be based on the community uh, and the utility of it. And so uh, we can expect, uh, from a mathematical side, to see a power law distribution in the value of all the crypto coins. So what that means is that if you were to list out all the coins in a row and look at which ones are the most valuable and which ones are the cheapest, you're gonna see probably almost all of the value will be concentrated in the top 10 coins out of 1,000 coins. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't go buy a coin that is really tiny and it won't 10x or 100x, but generally speaking, if you want a passive strategy where you're not worrying about it, but you feel like you've got exposure in the space, yeah, I would buy fifty. I would buy one Bitcoin, and then I would with the other forty three k, I would try to buy ten Ethereum. Okay. I would stake those Ethereum. So that's about forty k right there. Yep. Or thirty k. Yeah. I don't know. What it yeah, is. 30, I just I was doing the math. In my yeah. Head, yeah. Kay. So then I would take that Ethereum and I would put it in Gemini Earn and put it in BlockFi and Get have it that make seven percent. Yeah. Yep. And now you've got exposure to Bitcoin, you have exposure to Ethereum. And And you're making passive income. And you're making passive income and you just go to bed.
0: And then if you have five or ten K left, would you would you dump the rest of that in Ethereum or would you play with some smaller altcoins?
1: I I think that for the average investor, in order to not get caught up in the casino like sure enthrall of all of the different coins. I think that it would be wise to adopt an approach of, I go, you know, 60, 40 Bitcoin ETH.
0: Yeah, I can see and, why. And
1: I just let that ride. Now, if you wanted to get a little crazier, then uh, there's always options there, but just understand that you're gonna drive your spouse crazy because you're gonna be checking prices like literally 10 hours a day, because uh, you're gonna, you're, be, gonna go yeah, yeah, you're gonna go down the, the rabbit, hole, rabbit, rabbit, hole. rabbit Yeah, you're gonna go down the road. daily rabbit Yeah, and you're basically screwed. So please understand, that once you buy an altcoin, uh, that is as addictive as, <laughs> like, that's as addictive as, like, a slot oh, machine.
0: Man. So I told you when I, I got back into it in 2017, and so at the software company at the time, I had these informal meetings. It wasn't work-related. Anybody that wanted to, we'd have these crypto meetings, like, six, seven o'clock at night after everybody was done working, you know? And we'd just dive into all this stuff. And I, I remember... <laughs> Everybody's spouse is just getting so pissed because yeah. that's like all they're doing. <laughs> I stopped night. talking and, to my wife about Bitcoin. Yeah.
1: Like it's like it, it, it just quickly consumed impaired. you. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. I mean, I was staring at charts till my eyes bled. And like I have like one of my best friends come over and we would just look at the Bitcoin chart uh, for four hours.
0: Were you trading, day trading we it? We weren't trading. Okay. We were
1: talking about what it meant for to have it go from a yeah. dollar to $1,000 and like what it will still mean. And so I like, uh, so we can we can go big on talking about ETH because Bitcoin-
0: Let's spend five minutes on okay. it. And by the way, if you're listening, most of our podcasts typically go an hour. I, we both knew this one was <laughs> probably going to go over because yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. So let's just keep rocking this.
1: Okay, cool. So on the Bitcoin side, I think we've covered it. We're not going to yeah. see innovation there. That's good and bad. It's good because we it's a known quantity. It's good because giant 401k can, Plans can buy in, and the tokenomics are good. There's only 21 million; there'll never be more. It's an awesome store of value, and we should all each have at minimum one Bitcoin. If and we should strive to have that. Cool, love that. Okay, so what is Ethereum, and 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 then what are all these other coins? And so we're in a moment in history right now that is very similar to the 1999 uh, and the year 2000 and this this is like the best analogy i can give you in yeah. the year 1999 the internet was just popping and the personal computer was going crazy and you had companies that were coming out and they were raising billion dollar valuations if you remember mark cuban's company broadcast.com he got an insane valuation right, uh there time. was Yep, there was pets.com there was all of these uh, there was a, there was a company that uh, ended up uh, they raised insane valuations called the i smell, and it was supposed to be a device that you sat next to your computer, and it would spray out a scent when you visited certain websites, and it, you would smell it, and that got wow. an insane valuation. Like it was a it was a time where we didn't know how to value tech companies, and so we had insane price discovery, and that led Hence the
0: dot com bubble
1: exactly, and that led to people being like, "This is going to be worth so much. This is crazy," and so people were. Um, the term now in crypto is aping in. They were just like degenerate gamblers, just buying smell, buying like whatever to look good. And then uh, what happens is eventually that that, um, perceived value, the rubber has to hit the road and you have to have real value in the form of revenue and in the form of like a user base and products. And that led to the dot-com crash. What we're seeing now, is a great crypto bubble. Mm. Now there is going to be a series of bubbles, and they're going to. And what's going to happen with Bitcoin is going to blow people's minds and scare the crap out of a lot of people, because Bitcoin will go to 500k, and it's what that means for the world is going to be like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But what we're going to see happen when Bitcoin, the big daddy, goes to 500k, is we're going to see some crazy stuff with these meme coins, where they're going to be uh, going to insane valuations. Like I remember, uh, so Dogecoin I think is appropriate to talk about here. So there's a coin called Dogecoin. It came out a few years after Bitcoin. I remember when it came out and I farmed a bunch of it. I had like several million Dogecoins in a Doge wallet and it was worth like 200 bucks. And so Dogecoin uh, was a meme coin. It has a Shiba Inu on it and it's like a cute little coin. Yeah. And the funny thing about that was, Uh, The guy who made Dogecoin was like, we're just going to have like a trillion of these. So Bitcoin has 21 million, but we're going to have like trillion so that everyone can have a million Doge and be a Dogecoin millionaire. And it's like we're just gonna have fun with it. There's no like we're playing in There's this. There's no space. utility purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like everyone get to collect it for fun or whatever. So he he built the client and uh, had like the cute little graphics and pushed it out. And so everyone in the crypto space knew that it was a parody and a joke and thought it was fun. And then when Elon tweets about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it and then it gets all this momentum. And yeah. So next thing I know, I open up uh I open up uh um I open up a coin market cap to look at what it's worth. And it was worth like $75 billion. It's like worth more than all of the airlines. Aer- $75 billion. Yeah. Dollars. It was like worth all more than all the airlines in the United States combined. And I'm like, this is such a bubble. And then I had friends like what Christmas of like 2014, I'd sent everyone like uh, 50,000 doge or something as a joke. And then I've had them like frantically searching their emails and like, what address did you send that to? <laughs> like, for sure. <laughs> like, where is that money? <laughs> and then I I went through and I was like, a few of my friends, I'm like, oh dude, I sent you 20 grand in Doge like seven years ago. Like, I hope you didn't delete your wallet that you had downloaded to receive that. And so that was fun just to go back and look at it. Yeah. Uh, but that brings into the question, what is the value of Doge? And it's like, from if you look at the fundamentals and like what it is, it's yeah. definitely not worth 70. It's not worth all the airlines in the world combined. No, The number of transactions that are happening on it are uh, like so small. And so really uh, the inflation or the, the price inflation that we've seen in Doge has been one where there's just community fervor. And there's a, there's a story that's told, and it's been critics of Bitcoin have told this story for a super long time, and it's about the tulip uh, fever. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you heard about the tulip fever? I just
0: wasn't this on a movie or uh, the Wolf of Wall Street or something? I don't I remember know. they have a, f- a framed thing of, of the, the tulips, tulips. yeah yeah, the but, chart.
1: yeah, so the gist of the tulip fever was there was a, there was it was somewhere in Europe. Basically for like a couple years, people were going nuts about the value of tulips and they would grow different colors in them and all of that. And it got to like where it became this like fervor and like tulips were going for like the equivalent of houses and then the tulips would ultimately fade and die. And so people who've been criticizing Bitcoin have just been saying it's tulips. Yeah. Uh, but then, the, of course, the people who believe in Bitcoin are like, no, they're not tulips. Like, there's a crazy financial utility here. Yeah. But when we look at Doge, you start to see some more of that tulip-like Definitely. mindset of yeah. people just getting pumped. And I say this telling you right now that if you probably bought Doge right now and held it for 10 years, you'd probably make a ton of money, because because you're
0: playing into the fervor.
1: Well, just because the entire space over the over the next portion of our lives is going to continue to eat away the existing financial structure, and it's a big fu to the establishment to be yeah. like, I don't want your token; I'd rather hold DogeCoin. And so you're going to have people going Robinhood buying it up. DogeCoin will hit a bug. This
0: buck. is what happened with GameStop, right? Yes, same thing. Yes, just people buy to prove a point or whatever. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah. Now, would I say go get
1: a million Dogecoin and hold on to that? I wouldn't recommend that. Um, But if you're a crypto enthusiast and you want some exposure, why not hold some Doge?
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing, I think the point you're getting at a minute ago was these kind of draft Bitcoin. So as Bitcoin goes up to 500K, the big daddy, like you said, everything else kind of drafts that, right?
1: The pattern that we're seeing is um, a a, really clear FOMO pattern where Bitcoin will moon and it will have a huge price run up. And then uh, after Bitcoin moons, everyone who's not holding Bitcoin is like, crap, did I make the wrong decision? Like, How come I don't have more exposure to Bitcoin? Yeah. And then what happens after that is all of the altcoins go crazy and Bitcoin stays flat.
0: Wow. So there's a lag.
1: Yeah, there's a lag. So all the altcoins go crazy. And so Bitcoin, let's say that Bitcoin goes to 100K and Doge will be like 20 cents. And everyone who's holding Doge is like, I'm an idiot. And then after Bitcoin hits 100k, Doge will go from 20 cents mm, to four dollars. Fascinating. And then all the people who are holding Bitcoin are like, "I should have been holding some Doge." Like, And, yeah. and it, it's a teeter totter. It just goes huh. on like that. And it's been going. It's been doing that for ten years.
0: That's crazy. So, let's get into mining. So, uh, Matt here has been looking at buying mining machines, basically supercomputers, sticking them in a warehouse to where they're just mining. Yeah. Because same principle, right? If you want to get some exposure to whatever coin it is but you can get passive income, dual purpose. What's your take on mining?
1: I think the analysis done on mining was that in almost every circumstance, buying the coin instead of buying the mining equipment and just holding it would outperform. Wow. So now you have, unless you're a giant miner in like, Switzerland, who has access to geothermal energy and has access to cheap power, basically cheap power yeah. and the latest like chips out of China that can mine really fast. Yeah, that's awesome too. Huh. Uh, but I so, but if you want to be a part of the community and to be and to feel that connection and to uh, stay on top of the space. I think that if you want to run a mining rig, you should absolutely run a mining rig. Okay. If Um, you're more of a purist, but if you're like
0: an institutional investor and you're strictly looking at spreadsheet and numbers, mining's not going to be at the top of how to get your biggest rate of return. Yeah.
1: And like, let's say that you get really good at mining and you're really efficient with your power usage and you're, and you have like the best equipment and you've got it all figured out, then run the miners. It's really fun. I had a, I had a, I taught someone about Bitcoin a few years ago and they went out and bought I, next thing I know, I come over to their house, and their whole upstairs of their garage is filled with just miners' computers. Yeah, and it's like so hot up there. And then he's like, "My graphics cards are burning out," and like it just ended up being like a headache. And uh, and so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I think mining's fun, and I think that it's like the best coins that you're ever going to get are the ones that you mine yourself versus buying them. It's kind of like. Yeah, you're just lo- like, it's like I mind that. That's mine. Like, yeah. I got it from the Coinbase reward. I didn't buy it from someone else who mined it, and sure. I think that's just cool
0: to make something out of nothing, basically, yeah. right?
1: <clears throat> but uh, financially, it's better to buy and hold and throw it into Gemini or BlockFi um, and let it and let it yield for you versus worrying about machines that are going to depreciate over time.
0: That's I'm, I'm glad I asked that. What do you think about regulation? How do you think regulation is going to change the space?
1: Yeah, so this it's a is big topic, huge. Uh, and regulation has a chance to take a, the wind out of the sails of the entire crypto space. So my, one of
0: your big points was, you can own this. Nobody can yeah. take it from you. Well,
1: so you then you've got to look at the on-ramps and the off-ramps. So okay. if you want Bitcoin, you've got to go to, unless you're going to go meet someone in person and do a direct trade, you've got to go to Coinbase or a place like that, practically speaking, in the U.S. And so if the government came and said, you know what, like, and this is what China did, China said... In reviewing, like uh, in reviewing the entire cryptocurrency space, we've concluded that if this takes off, our ability to run our government and to manage our people is severely hurt. And so they said, they lose control. They That's lose what control. they want. Yeah. And yeah. so they said nobody can buy or sell Bitcoin or any other crypto. All the exchanges that were there, you guys are now. You have. You cannot receive deposits in Bitcoin or send them out. And by the way, if you're mining Bitcoin in our country, we're shutting you down. And so it was like the best day ever for global miners because 30% of the miners in China went dark in one week. All the business shifted over. And so now all the mining like goes to everyone else. And so those guys were pumped. It was like, awesome. And like, I think the people in China, what's their reaction? Their reaction is we've just been kicked out of a global innovation Um, where we are creating a new global currency and financial system. And it is, anytime you try to exert control, yes, you may get some short-term wins. You're going to lose in the long term. Yeah, for sure. You can't stifle innovation. And it's like, plus, all these people in China, if they have a VPN, they can still access and participate in the crypto ecosystem. However, it severely hurt them because now they can't withdraw to their bank account. So the meme, uh, the meme of cryptocurrency, and this is how we go mainstream and this is how you hit 500K and a million dollar Bitcoin and you hit a $4 Dogecoin and you hit a $10,000 ETH, is what happens is, is let's say that you're all your 400 reps out there, they're like, okay, we heard the podcast, I'm going to become a whole coiner. So they all go get one Bitcoin, 50K, it's like not the end of the world, they just got to kick ass at sales and get paid, you know? Yeah. Then they got their coin and they're yeah. not going to sell it or whatever. So then we wait, let's say that we wait uh, five years and they've been diligent and they set it aside. They're gonna look at their net worth and they're gonna be like uh, 80% of my net worth is in Bitcoin now because Bitcoin is gonna, their Bitcoin sitting in BlockFi and Gemini is gonna be worth 500K. And they're gonna look at their other assets and they're like, I got more in Bitcoin than I have in my house. And at that point, you're now a crypto person because most of your net worth is in crypto and now you really care about it like and you're like okay i actually am mainly exposed to that and that's and so now you have to follow it yes yeah yeah and that's the wave that's happened to millions and millions of people Mm -hmm. who have bought in the space is because it's deflationary and because it stores value and accumulates value and doesn't lose value you naturally become more invested in it just by not selling yeah. And so we need our government officials like we should just airdrop them like lots of bitcoin so that they don't so they'll adopt it so that they don't try to regulate like regulate it out of existence it is a threat to the US dollar but also let's look at the US dollar and how well that's managed i if you pull up if you just google m1 money supply chart which is tracks the amount of money in US bank accounts we are seeing our US dollar completely destroyed in like a some venezuelan type crap that's going on. The amount of money, there was something <clears throat> I, we should, we don't have a computer here, but if we did pull it up, it was, we've now in the past like 10 years, we have 20X the amount of US dollars in existence. And if you go back from into the 1970s, we've consistently only been adding a little bit of money Every to year, the money yeah. supply. And it's hockey sticked.
0: Yeah, I heard the last 12 months, 40% of the cash right now has been printed in the last 12 months.
1: And what you have to realize is that will destroy our nation. And the reason it will destroy our nation is because everyone is expecting to work in a fair system. And if the system isn't fair and look, I'm not intelligent enough or I don't have enough exposure or don't have enough experience to be able to buy all these different assets and manage them. I'm just focusing on making my money. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well crap, houses in Utah are now double in value. I had no assets that were exposed to the deflation or to the inflation of the US dollar. I can't afford my down payment on my new house I wanted.
0: And that's probably most people in the country is they're so busy making money, they they don't have time to focus on this other stuff. But if their dollar's becoming worth less and less, man, it's it's a crazy game.
1: We raw like when we inflate the dollar, we rob from those who depend on the dollar. Dude, and exactly. And so we, that's why, and that's the political movement is yeah. Like we cannot, and it feels like, it feels like politically there's no adults in the room anymore. Yeah, It feels like we don't have the strongest. It's leadership. irresponsible. Yeah. And,
0: but you probably heard, there are some smart people that say, it's actually having no impact,
1: yeah, it's just like I'm not buying that, yeah I'm like let, let's just look at the cost of lumber and the prices of homes locally here, and then like in, the inflation numbers that's all a game that can be played. if we just take it down to basics, if there's twenty times more than there used to be before, there's more supply, yeah, therefore you it de- naturally hug. will happen either yeah. way and it's it's and it's a runaway it's it's uh, there's a really good book and it's for if you just you can order it on Audible, and it's coming out pretty soon. It's by Ray Dalio, who is one of, like, yeah, a legendary Yeah, I read his investor. principles. Yeah, yeah. he's so a stud. His next book is called The Rise and Fall of Nations. Okay. And in it, he talks about how uh, the re- global reserve currency is uh, ultimately the demise of, uh, of every country who gets that status of being able to be the reserve currency. And he talks about all the events that take place for that to shift from hand to hand. And so... He talks about how World War II, the United States had the U.S. dollar become the world reserve currency. And before that, it was the uh, British pound. And before that, it was like in the Dutch. And he talks about there's, there's there's another pattern going on in humanity where that goes from place to place. And to think that we are like resistant to that uh, pattern that happens over time and that we won't make the same mistakes yeah. is No, that's better. why you
0: study history so you can see it. Yeah. Ray's a smart dude. <laughs> he knows what's going on.
1: Yeah, and, and he finally gave his endorsement for Bitcoin, which we were all stoked on. Yeah. He's like, he, maybe you should have some Bitcoin. He was holding out for yeah. a while. I remember yeah. following
0: to see what he said because I was reading principles at the time. Yeah. Everything was going on and it's interesting. Uh, question why we're on books real quick. Have you read American Kingpin? I haven't. Should You haven't. I totally think okay. you should. I mean, what's it about? It's about Silk Road and oh and, yeah, uh, oh yeah. You know, just the rise and fall of that and everything happening through BitTorrent and Bitcoin. Yes, and just, awesome. Okay, I mean, you were there I at know, that time. I know. I, yeah. I should
1: go read it though, because it'll be like a really good yeah memory. Sure. of sure.
0: So back to kind of the bubble. We're gonna hit these different bubbles. Couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Uh, we'll see those throughout time and with the altcoins and everything. We're we're. When I look at some of these altcoins, it's very easy to say, do they have a utility purpose and is the value there? I think we very quickly, if you look at fundamentals, the value that airlines are providing every single day for hundreds of thousands of people, it's there. And then you can easily say, okay, does this coin have more value? No, right? So we're in a bubble on some things. I'm not saying we are in Bitcoin or different things, but what do you foresee Let's talk like the next six to 12 months and then let's talk the next five years. You kind of gave your price points for Bitcoin. So I'd love to hear what you think the crypto market does the next six to 12 months. And then what you think ETH will be if if BIT hits that 500K mark.
1: Yeah. So what we're seeing goes beyond, like we're at a stage now where we're going to go beyond uh, finances
0: it's rolling now. Like, it's just going to keep going. So
1: it, we are, like, and to me, this is the most exciting thing that I have seen happen next to some of the AI stuff that I've um, I've been paying attention to. Okay. But Satoshi's vision is uh, being built upon in a way that I think he would be super proud. Not with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is what it is. But with the overall crypto market. But with market. the crypto space, yeah. It's, yeah. it's getting nuts. And so... Um, I'll try to break this down really simply because right now we're in a time of, like I was saying, it's the dot-com bubble. There's a lot of confusion around what stuff is worth. And investors with a lot of money can lose a lot of money sure. because it's really confusing. You're like, I thought that the ICO was What is gonna... valuable yeah. and what's not, exactly. right? Yeah. So I can try to give you my framework for how I analyze every crypto that I see. Okay. And then there is, a, there is a new type of crypto that is coming out that I think will surpass all of them. Wow. Um, yeah, which I'm super pumped on. Okay. Okay. So, so
0: this, These are kind of big things right <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah,
1: I know. And that's like, it's <laughs> like I'll try to just, you got to shut me up because I'm like so pumped on this. Okay. All right. So the first thing is, is we have to classify, like anytime you have a thousand different opportunities, you got to start bucketing. So that's the first step is you can get really overwhelmed. It's like, okay, hey, well, there's Dogecoin, then you got Shiba Inu, then you've got Ripple, then you've, it's just like, ah, it's just like too much crap. I got to put it into buckets. And the FOMO that comes with every coin you hear about, where you're like, ah, oh, I got to go ape into this coin or go into this coin, it's overwhelming. And then it leads to you making bad decisions. And that's why I think that our earlier advice of just get one Bitcoin, get 10 ETH, stack this it in Gemini yeah. and, don't, and, just, and make your money How you make money? Like, don't worry about trying to make money trading. Okay, like go make your money and let uh, and let Gemini and BlockFi stack for you. But let's look at the new coins and let's say that you did want to play in this space and go get some exposure to something that has potential 100 to 1,000x upside. Okay, so the first type of token is in the first bucket, and there's five buckets. Okay. So just cut me off if this no, gets I'm too No, I'm taking long notes on this. It's okay. <laughs> good stuff. So the first type of token is what we call the blue chip token. Okay. And like this is the equivalent of the old school token. Uh, it has no other value except for the fact that it has fixed supply tokenomics. It doesn't have any smart contract capabilities. You can just buy it and send it. Uh, and th- this is like the old, this is like the boomers of the coins. And so... The the ultimate blue chip coin is Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. There's one called Litecoin. It's just like, whatever, avoid that. There's Bitcoin Cash, which I'm a huge fan of, um, but I would rather just have you guys hold Bitcoin. Uh, So we have Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash. Then you've got Ripple. You have Stellar Lumens. You've got um, Dogecoin. um, You have the Shiba Inu token, which is the derivative of of the Dogecoin. Like these are ones where there's nothing special about them. They're just people like to collect them and uh, they don't have any other special purpose. Kay. So out of all the blue chips, I would ignore all of them except for Bitcoin. Okay, got it. Uh, and if you wanted to be a little adventurous, go grab some Bitcoin Cash. Uh, and the only difference between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin Cash has a 20 megabyte or something block limit. So its oh. transaction throughput is way higher. Okay. Um, all right, so then the second type of token uh, are called the gas tokens. And so the gas tokens are, to me, the greatest innovation that we've seen in computer science in my life. And what we've done is Satoshi set up the Bitcoin network so that people could trade value between each other. What every one of these uh, gas tokens represents is a public computer that's a public good that all of us can use. And how do you use it? Well, you have to pay a little bit of gas money. So Ethereum is much less a token as it is a computer that every one of us has the ability to read and write from. And the implications of that are just starting to form and they're insane. Uh, This is why I
0: personally, and again, I'm very elementary in my knowledge of crypto, but from the outside, I feel more bullish on ETH than BIT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of this.
1: Now, but I'll explain why Ethereum has its, uh, why I would be scared to be holding too much Ethereum right now. Okay, so you have this public computer that can store information for everybody. So let's say that you were like, look, I want to be really public about uh, our company. I'm going to list all of like, I'm going to put all of the uh, equity that we have, uh, and it'll all just be stored on Ethereum. And anytime we want to do a disbursement, it automatically happens and everyone gets paid. Smart contract. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Ethereum right now is uh, the Vitalik came up with this idea of a full-on computer, not just sending transactions, but we can store any data and have any rules that we want. And it is incredibly powerful. And the technology, the ideas are just barely now catching up to the technology. And so the problem- That's the potential side. Yes. And so the problem with Ethereum is that um, it's incredibly crowded. The computer has so much crap going on it right now that if you wanna send it, uh, even if you wanna do the most simple transaction on it, it'll cost anywhere from 20 to $40. So you price out a lot of people. So over the course of this last six months, we have seen an explosion of new hmm. public computers. Um, and so uh, there's another public computer that just came out called Solana. Now notice I'm not I'm trying to not call them tokens. Because we have to view them as they are, they're public computers that we all use sure. uh, and w- that we pay to use. So there's and, more
0: fierce competition yeah, and innovation and constantly so, happening.
1: Yes, and so Solana has come out, has come out, and the transaction volume that it can handle is insane. It's like fifty thousand transactions uh, per second, and like and for nothing, for very cheap, and so. We're gonna, we're now, like, like, it comes down to this. Like if you have Bitcoin, which is like, we're not gonna change any of the rules and it's this yeah. old boomer. Yeah. But then if you're gonna compete in the world of like the latest tech, you have to be so fast. You have to be like so quick at iterating. And cheap. Yeah, and you've gotta be cheap. And so you've got a really competitive landscape. And so when you look at, Interesting. So when you look at Ethereum, you're like, this is so expensive. That it prices out the majority of most of the transactions that people will want to do and so you're going to start to lose network effects because a lot of people are going to one of the crazes that's going on right now is people are minting these generative art nfts which is that's a whole nother podcast but basically artists are coming on to these public computers and saying before i would send you a print or i would sell you my original copy and that's super annoying uh and like uh it's like it's nice for me to be able to like for be able to do that but this art was digitally created in the first place so let's say that i spent a year drawing this incredible art piece and i want to sell it to you um and and it provably belongs to you but still anyone in the world can look at it so what you do is you take that piece of art and you create what's called an nft which stands for non-fungible token and what it basically uh does is the creator of that artwork can say that if you own this nft It is yours, provably, just like your Bitcoin is yours, provably. And so we saw one of the first NFT sales that blew everyone's mind, and there was an artist named Beeple. And what he did is he took every piece of artwork that he's ever done over the the last 20 years, and he put it into a giant picture, and he listed that on the internet as an NFT. And a guy on Ethereum bought it for $69 million. And, (laughs) yeah, it was just...
0: NFTs, I totally agree. That's a whole separate podcast (laughs) because these are getting huge right now. Yeah, and uh, so, don't sure. like
1: my warning to everyone is d- you don't, if like, it's one thing to be buying these other coins, NFTs is a whole ish- whole, other whole, whole other casino. Yeah. But the, imp- but it is a
0: casino. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah.
1: The, and there is some components to it that are like really interesting. So, for example, let's say that you buy an NFT and then you send it to someone else there's a 5% transaction fee that's baked into it that the artist gets. Mm. So all of the creatives, music producers, if you're in the world of making music, making art, making digital content, you better freaking study For NFTs. Sure. Well, because
0: what risk do they have, right? Whether it goes up or down, they're getting their 5%. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. matter. And it's plus, a no-brainer. And
1: plus they get the initial fee of selling it. So, But,
0: but with all this technology yeah. and stuff, just to finish yeah. point number two out of your five, yeah. You're still pretty bullish on ETH because you said, "Look, if I had 100k, I'd probably throw the extra 40
1: yeah. in ETH Be- instead of these other ones." Because I and that's because of Vitalik's vision that he has and the yeah. fact that his his goal is to get the transactions and the Ethereum network to compete like his problem is is that he has a plane that's flying, you know, at twenty five thousand feet, and he's got to change the engine out while, while he's all up in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While these other guys are building <laughs> yes, their plane? Yes. And, at a warehouse with all the new technology, exactly. new engineers, everything. Exactly. Yeah. So he's got, but Vitalik is the guy to do it. But he's a smart yeah, dude. Yeah. If you want to have the guy change the engine, Vitalik's yeah, your guy. Yeah, that's your guy. And so just so h- you're
0: still betting on the guy up in the air, then. Yes. A couple of the ones down. Well, there.
1: just because it's also in a really competitive environment, uh, it's really difficult to tell where like these new public computer tokens will go. And with Ethereum, we know that it's switched from being inflationary to deflationary. And, like it's, and it already handles a massive amount of transactions. And so from a, just a simple view, I would just say get Ethereum. Kay. But let me name a bunch of the gas tokens. Yeah. And just so that you can kind of be aware of them. So one of them is ETH. That's yeah. the main and the oldest gas token. Then you have BNB, which is for the Binance chain. Uh, Which is another public computer, which is really popular. You have Solana, you have Phantom, um, and then the list goes on. Basically, if you pay, if you use the token to pay for a computer to run code for you, it's a gas token. That's a
0: gas token, yeah.
1: Now, there's an analogy here. It's like, do you want to speculate on gas? Well, a lot of fortunes have been made in the value of uh, energy or gas going up over time, Uh, but. Then you have to look at what else can be done with the gas. Like, what are what are people building? So we've got our blue chips. We've got our gas tokens. Um, and then there's another type of token uh, out, coming out, which to me is... This category number three? Category number three. Okay. And then we can maybe... I can cover the other two if we want to. Sure. Then we can finish it yeah, off. Yeah. That's perfect. So the third token um, that is... Uh, That to me is where the it's going to change the world, and it's going to change really fast. It's called the DAO token, DAO. So, what is a DAO? A DAO is a new type of company, um, and it's super disruptive to the existing uh, to every company that exists. It's going to be disruptive to your company, Uh, and. Uh, this is gonna be over the next uh, over the next 10 years and it's just starting to happen now so what is a DAO so a DAO is the it's an acronym it stands for decentralized autonomous organization okay so the best way to try to describe what's going on here is imagine if a community on the internet like a subreddit or a Facebook group or a forum got together and said we're gonna make our own stock and we are gonna work together without even knowing each other uh, to build and sell products and get paid uh, and we don't even need to know each other and anyone who wants to join our company all they need to do is get exposure to our stock and then they can contribute ideas to it and so it's literally a group of people getting together and collaborating together and so think about it this way imagine if instead of applying for a job what you did is you took 25 grand and you bought a DAO's token, and then you went into their Twitter and into their Instagram and into their Discord chat channel and into their Telegram chat, and into their productivity tools. And you looked through and you said, "What do you guys need done?" And it's like, "You need marketing. I can do marketing for you. Or you need uh, code written. I can do that. Or you yeah. or you need motion graphics done. Or you need whatever." And so you can just. Uh, do immediately start working for that company present your work to the company in the form of a proposal and Then that company can then pay you for whatever work you did in the form of their token And so it's like one of the one of the beautiful things about uber is you're your own boss, right? You can just pick when you want to go drive sure with these daos There's literally they are decentralized and autonomous. There's no leader like, there's a group of people that all get together and vote about what the company does. And some of these DAOs are worth billions of dollars already.
0: Wow, I can totally see where that's going to be disruptive, yeah. Yeah. where it already is.
1: So, um, there's, a, there's a few DAOs that are really fun. One of my favorite DAOs is called Cake. Okay. Yeah, and so, if you, like, these DAOs are so funny, too. Like, when you go, okay, so the, like, the, the important thing, and I, I feel like... I feel like we should focus on this just for a minute, is that um, with these public computers, instead of going to Instagram and signing in with your Facebook account, uh, or instead of going to Google and signing with your Google account, you already have your account, which is your cryptographic wallet, which is based on your private key, uh, which is the 64 characters, and that's your identity. And you take that around to all the different apps that are being built. So you have your own identity that you own. It's not on a Facebook server. It's not on an Instagram server. It's not on YouTube where they can ban you. That's your identity. Sure. And you can sign in wherever you want and automatically your wallet is integrated into whatever uh, app is being built. That's crazy. Yeah. And so the we're going to see a whole, we're going to see another YouTube come out that is completely decentralized and it has no point of failure where anyone can post whatever they want. That's for good and for bad, yeah, we're going to see another Twitter come out. We're going to see uh, that are decentralized. Every single, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And every single product that exists right now, we're going to see a decentralized version of it that cuts out the middleman and gives it back to the people, which is going to be crazy. It's good and, and- <laughs> good and bad, like yeah. you said. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody's going to have any political posts removed. Yes, but there's also going to be some crazy stuff on there because yes. it's not regulated. Exactly. And well, it's, you can't take it down because it's on the public computer and the public computer is being run by 500,000 people across the world. Yeah. And so...
0: No, so like child pornography, for example. Yep. Like how do you shut that down if yep. it's decentralized? It's going to be
1: really hard to do that. Yeah. Now the question is, is like what percentage of the total amount of people who are playing in this space are interested in child porn? It's like going to be a fraction of a fraction so yeah. you can focus on the negative Drones, cases. whatever yeah. yeah but there's but, positive too. yeah the ones where it's like we're going to see some mainstream apps that are going to come out that are going to be web 3 is what this is called okay so web 2 is kind of like facebook google instagram like create an account sign in with that account uh web 3 is uh decentralized run on the, one of the public computers and you uh, and it's very much focused on you are in control of your data and you have a wallet, that, and so when you look at these DAOs, all of them are called Web three DApps, and DApp stands for decentralized app. And so, Cake is uh, a competitor to Coinbase. Okay, so but it's decentralized. It's decentralized, wow. and no one knows who runs That's it, crazy. and it manages fourteen billion dollars. Wow, yeah,
0: already, yes, <laughs> yes. How old is it? It's
1: like six months old. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And what so, does
0: Coinbase have? Do you know Coinbase is what they're managing?
1: Management? Oh geez, it's uh it may be less than cake, honestly. Wow. We should look That's at it. That's
0: incredible. Okay, but
1: you gotta realize here's what's going on. Okay, let's just take cake as the DAO example. Coinbase, you've got Brian Armstrong, he's awesome, I love him. He uh runs Coinbase really well, everything is really well protected. Now, if you want to go buy or sell on Coinbase, you're going to be charged 1% on the sell side and the buyer is going to be charged 1%. And so Coinbase is making their money.
0: They are for sure. That's a
1: big fee. Yeah. So Cake comes out and says, guys, we're going to do Coinbase, except we'll do it on the public computer. They did it on the Binance Smart Chain, not Ethereum. Okay. Which is another concern because when I look at Ethereum, it's like to do a transaction on Ethereum and to do a, a trade, you gotta pay gas and the gas is super expensive. A trade on Ethereum could cost 200 bucks. And I've spent $700 on a transaction on Ethereum just to do a a single trade, like it's very expensive. But the Binance Smart Chain is really fast and really cheap. So Kate comes out and they say, we're gonna let you trade from any coin to any other coin and we're gonna charge you 0.2%. And that's our fee. And by the way, um, also if you wanna come in and list your assets for sale, We're going to pay you that fee. So instead of Coinbase getting the fee, the users get the fee. So they take that business model and they invert it and they say, we're the DAO. Anyone who wants to buy cake and hold cake can be part of our company. And by the way, if you provide liquidity, if you let people buy and trade your assets, you can make an insane return, 20, 30, 40% APY. Uh, and but it's paid to you in the form of cake mm. so then you're like buying and holding cake and then they have a whole lottery system where you can gamble your cake and burn it or you can stake your cake to make more cake and they've got these cute little bunnies and pancakes and like <laughs> there's it's
0: pretty smart though to give it back in cake because that kind of ensures the exactly
1: value of the own so,
0: the token. Right? so if
1: you look at cake uh cake is an incredible DAO token and it's one of these new companies that exists and it's like Would you rather work for Coinbase or would you rather work for Cake? And it's like, Cake's looking pretty interesting right now. So there are many, many uh, tokens like that. So keep your eyes peeled for any companies like that that are coming online where there is no leaders, it's just a community getting together, and we're going to start to see this eat the traditional corporate world uh, in a way that that is where we're going to see our next 1,000xing opportunities. Bitcoin will do you well. And, like, you should buy and hold your one Bitcoin or more relative to your net worth. You should hold your Ethereum. But if you wanted to be go speculation mode, you got to go look into the DAOs. And you've got to find and imagine these are the early companies. These are the early companies that are being formed that are a brand new type of company that have never existed and so you're going to lose a ton of money. <laughs> like you should just know like you're going to buy some DAOs that are garbage and you're going to... The name of the game. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're going to buy some and we're going to see a DAO come out um, that is going to be competing with companies listed on the public stock market. They already are. That's crazy. So anyways, uh, crazy. if you wanted to do more research on DAOs, yeah. you can just go and Google DAO and you can also go to Swap. These, uh, there's a general feel of all of the DAOs where they're generally really playful. And so uh, my favorite DAOs, I'll just name three, and then yeah. we can maybe close out. Okay. My favorite DAOs are, uh, right now, uh, my most favorite is called Beefy Finance. Okay. That's uh, beefy.finance, dot yfinance Okay. And Beefy Finance uh, is a platform that allows you to auto-compound your uh, income, to get crazy returns on investment. So, uh, and like they have all this documentation. It's very inaccessible to the average person. But when you go through and, uh, through and read it, um, like Beefy Finance is one of the coolest DAOs on the internet. They've got 170,000 Twitter followers. Wow. And uh, just why this is important is, so there's these things called stable coins. It's the fourth type of coin.
0: Okay. A stable
1: coin is a coin that's pegged to the US dollar. USDC, GUSD, DAI, um, these are all stable coins. And the goal is to be able to have a representative of the US dollar in the crypto space where you normally wouldn't be able to have that. So you have these tokens that are pegged to that value. Well, right now on Beefy, if you go into their DAP, you can earn uh, roughly 30 to 40% on your USDC stable coins. A year? A year. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. Wow. It's insane what they're doing. And so if you look at that, and if you look at it from a financial freedom standpoint, how much money do you need at a 30% APY to be... To, oh, I mean, a couple hundred grand, Yes, right? and you're good to go. Yeah. yeah. And so how are they making that money? Well, it's all of the trading activity that's happening. All the trading activity is happening instead of that money going to Coinbase to its hundred billion dollar valuation. Yeah. it's going to the people. They're
0: flipping that money tons yes. and tons. Yes. every day. Yes.
1: And so that we're starting to realize how much the banks have been screwing us. Wow.
0: They've That's been insane. screwing it's us so bad. Thirty to forty percent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And That's you, nuts. Yeah, I know. And so you can deposit hundred grand, make anywhere from thirty to forty grand a year yeah. on that. And it's what's awesome about it is it's all self custody, so you can withdraw it out to Coinbase and withdraw it to your bank account easily like it's and it's it's yours and you're in full control and what's really cool is you can trade day or night because the public computers never turn off yeah so do you remember it's always working do you remember with GameStop when they made it so you couldn't sell or buy GME it's like you bastards it's like impossible with impossible with this new setup that's crazy. yeah so beefy finance they'll auto compound your assets for you uh, in an optimal way to give you an insane return Um, what's the fifth kind oh the fifth kind of token I we we talked about I should have had that clearly written. Here, I'll, out I'll walk head, you yeah. through the list. Okay, we got blue
0: chips. Blue chip, gas tokens, DAO, yeah. and then stable coins. Oh, yeah, yeah. The
1: fifth type of token is the reward token. Reward token. Okay. You, you want to dump reward tokens. You want to sell them. You don't want to hold them. Okay. And so a reward token is given to you in the Web3 space as a reward for providing some type of risk. So, like, let's say... So one reward token is called Curve. Okay. And Curve is paid out if you um, if you deposit money onto their platform. Uh, let's say that you have ten thousand dollars of USDC and you have ten thousand dollars of Gemini USD GUSD. So you have both. So you give both of those to Curve, and then Curve will let you trade between them, and then in uh, or will let other people come and take out USDC and put in GUSD and let people trade, and then in reward to you for providing that risk, they'll pay you Curve. Well, if you look at the tokenomics of Curve, there's like gonna be three billion minted and they've only minted 10% of them. So it's like a Chuck E Cheese token in a way. Like Curve is obviously, as Curve is also a DAO. Yeah. But the tokenomics of their coin are very much like, there's gonna be a lot of Curve, and like, we're going to try to make Curve more valuable, but it's a reward token. Sure. And so if it's a reward token uh, that you get for doing some, providing some risk in DeFi, you should probably dump it. So it's another way to classify all the different tokens that are coming up. You know that you're getting a reward token if it has, no, if it has an infinite supply or a supply where it's insanely high and it's being paid out to people as a reward for uh, doing something.
0: Okay, so, let's let's do two questions and okay. then we can close it. Down. Okay, I That was a lot. I'm like so sorry Dude, for I'm, overwhelming no, you guys. I'm loving this. I'm taking yeah. notes like crazy. Yeah. Okay, this one is from one of the listeners live. They said, despite the higher gas and slower speed, do you think the higher decentralization of Ethereum compared to its competitors is valuable enough to win out, even if it's more expensive? Isn't BNB cheaper and faster due to its centralization?
1: Um, so that's always the trade off of decentralization versus, versus centralization, and Vitalik is trying as hard as he can to let the average MacBook Pro run an Ethereum node, and so the Binance validators, those, there's only 21 of them, and like, uh, and those are like you need to have a freaking fast computer in a data center with like a, with like a gigabit internet connection yeah and so that's the trade-off is uh there's fewer validators uh for that which means that it's more centralized which means that it provides more risk however just with my experience at snapchat we've got to realize the power of network effects and so even if there's more centralization in some of these as long as it's decentralized enough that will pose a huge risk to ethereum because if i have to go on and i can't in order for me to do a transaction it's hundred dollars you've priced out 90% of the population. Sure. So that's, I'm still saying hold your ETH, but also be aware
0: of these other ones. That
1: there's some other ones that will come and steal all the transaction and all the volume. And remember everyone in this space gets paid on volume. And so you want to have as many transactions as possible because the more that money flows between us, uh, That's what I was thinking about paid. earlier
0: is that as an investor, you'd probably want to keep a really strong pulse on the number of transactions that each of these are doing every day. Yeah. To kind of predict where yeah. they're going. Right? Well,
1: right now, like when when the Binance chain popped off, um, which by the way was just a dumb fork of Ethereum. Literally, Binance took Ethereum 2.0, which Vitalik was working on, and yeah. shipped it wow. faster than him. Wow. It's like they stole the design for That's the plane crazy. and just launched it. It's wow. like. But then uh, the transactions per day on Ethereum were two point five million per day, and on Binance Smart Chain, ten million. Wow! You're already four x the volume, and that to me scares me as an ETH holder. Definitely. Because I'm like, well, if we lose the volume, like, someone could come flip with us if they have better technology, and Solana is one where it hits high speed and high decentralization. And so it's like, oh man, you do that thing. This is, and it's built with a completely new language, uh, which is like intended to be fast by engineers from Google. Sure. So it starts to it's get scared. competitive. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Last question: If somebody's new to this space, or even if they're not new and they're more advanced, I, I know I, you like. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, I heard you talk about him, Anthony Popoliano. Yeah.
1: Who? Where is he? A, just got banned from YouTube yesterday. By the way, he did really. We're going to see a decentralized YouTube.
0: For sure we will because of everything that's happened this last year politically because of COVID, we will see that. So what are some either thought leaders, influencers, websites, sources,
1: books? What's
0: your favorite stuff? For, For crypto? Yeah.
1: Ooh, this is one where... You got. You can follow Pomp on Twitter, and he's pretty good. Kevin okay. Rose has a fantastic podcast called Modern Finance, okay. and Kevin's deep into the NFT okay, and cool. into Pancake Swap, and he was an early investor in Solana. And so, Kevin, if you like, Pomp is more mainstreamy, but if you wanted to follow Kevin Rose's podcast because you wanted to like buy some of these early tokens and early DAO tokens, Kevin Rose's Modern Finance podcast like would be That's the one. That's a great one. And then um, I also just like following like the high-level people, like the macro type people like Ray Dalio. Um, And so I would, and then also Rich Dad Poor Dad, like he's still cranking away on Twitter. Robert Kiyosaki, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. cool. Yeah, he's like, he's super obsessed with Bitcoin, which I love. It's just validating to have him come on because it's these basic principles that we're talking about that will generate wealth and he sees it clearly. So I would say, like, there's so many people who are ready to try to educate you in this space. I think Kevin Rose is probably one of the best ones if you have a finite amount of time and just want to get the latest and greatest. I would check out his Modern Finance podcast.
0: Okay. All right. Well, Kirk, thanks for coming on. I loved going deep in this rabbit hole and appreciate your time. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks. Thank you, guys. See ya.